It's Inside the Gamecocks. J.C. Sherbert here with you along with Tony Morrell, the GCI. Uh, episode 2 each and every Wednesday. We're going to sit here and talk about Gamecock football, which is a subject I know all of you folks that are listening love to talk about, no matter how um, perilous it may be at times. And uh, Tony, certainly, you know, this past weekend, um, you know, you look at this game, 34-14, Missouri beat South Carolina snapping a three-game losing streak to the Gamecocks. They get the Mayor's Cup for whatever that's worth. But, um, you know, this was one of these games where, and I said this on thebigspur.com last week, I thought you got to avoid the head-scratching game on offense. And I called it the WTF game. (laughs) Not going to really say what that means. But uh, let's just call it the head-scratching game. And, boy, that that was kind of – you know, what I saw, I mean, you think about it, you know, the offense gives up two offensive touchdowns. I mean, it's a 20-14 to 14 ball game. I know the defense did have some issues, but uh, it was a game the Gamecocks really should have – the margin should have been closer. And, and boy, the offense was just uh, just disappointing uh, to me, even though I know, you know, Ryan Holinsky was struggling with his elbow, especially in the first half. Yeah, I mean, I, I think – it really comes back to, to quarterback play and offensive line play. And Helensky did not look like himself, you know, from the opening snap on to the end of the first half. You know, everything that we'd seen from him in his first two starts, uh, you know, from the accuracy he showed throwing the football, the timing he showed, the chemistry he had with his receivers, none of that was there on Saturday against Missouri. And it was obvious that, that the elbow was bothering him and, and he just wasn't comfortable with, with his ability to, to put the ball where it needed to go. And he just he was hesitant at times, wasn't throwing the ball on time, wasn't putting the ball in a place where his receivers could make plays on it. And then, of course, had the, the, the crazy play that led to Missouri's first touchdown on the, the double pass that was you know one of the, the strangest plays I've seen in, in a while in a South Carolina game. Um, you know, but I, I don't want to put too much on Helensky just because of the fact that he wasn't able to practice much leading up to the game. They rested his arm as much as they could throughout the week. And, and when you put a true freshman in that position of, of uh, making his first road start after not really being able to prepare properly throughout the week, uh, that's a, a really tough position to put him in. And then you couple that with the struggle South Carolina had on the offensive line uh, to protect him at times uh, also struggled to open holes for the running backs, particularly in the second half. Uh, it, it's, it's a recipe for a, as you call it a, a WTF game on offense when, when those two things collide. So, uh, you know, we'll talk, obviously talk more about Kentucky later in the, in the podcast, but that's those two areas certainly have to be much improved this week against Kentucky. Yeah. I, I thought Missouri had a good game plan as far as, you know, they were going to shut down the run and let Helensky's arm beat him. And, and I think, you know, Barry Odom really, I mean, got off to kind of a, a, a strange start at Missouri, but he's really done pretty well with that team, and he's not a not a dummy, and he's a defensive guy. And, and I think they just said, well, you know, we're going to we're gonna just see if Helensky can beat us. And, and I'm sure they saw some of the information out there that the kid may be a little hurt. And, you know, I, I don't know if – you know, there was talk that, that, that Holinsky, you know, took the tape off of his elbow in the second half. I, I did think he threw it better in the second half. I, I think he looked a little bit more comfortable and, you know, came back. Was he ideal? Probably not. Still a little, a little off. But, you know, here's the, here's the issue I had with it. And I, I don't want to, like, 
it's never always just play calling. It's never all just this, just that. But this is something I'm seeing with the South Carolina offense in situations where the offense gets, you know, bogged down or whatever is, and Muschamp mentioned this, 17 out of the first 26 play calls were either RPOs or called runs. Well, you didn't have that many rushing attempts during that time. You, you know, you threw it most of the time. And an RPO, for those of you that, that you know, don't keep up with the terminology, it's a run-pass option. Holinsky goes to the line. He's reading something. And if the, if the defense looks one way, it's a run. If it looks the other, it's a pass. Holinsky was making the right reads. But, but Tony, I, I think the same thing happened to Jake Bentley last year in the second half at Florida where they were reading run. That was the correct run, but Florida was crashing a safety. Uh, everybody thinks, oh, they just got conservative. I think this time it was kind of the opposite. And Muschamp even mentioned this, that they need – sometimes, you know – RPOs are great, but sometimes maybe you need to say, all right, we're, we're going to get in a power formation and try to force the issue with the run a little bit or, or maybe some more called easy passes. I don't know what the answer is specifically, but I've noticed when they do get RPO heavy and and it's not working or clicking, you know, it can turn into some some head-scratching type of deals. Because for the life of me, I didn't know why they were chunking the ball all over the yard inside the 15-yard line when, when Helensky clearly was – you know, not himself, especially in the first half. And all that added up to, you know, 25 yards of total offense uh, before halftime. Yeah, it, it didn't make much sense to me to to not be more committed to running the football, given the fact that you have a true freshman making his first road start um, and, and one who, who wasn't able to prepare properly throughout the week. Um, why not? be more committed to running the football? Why not have more high percentage throws? Why not run less RPOs and, and take some of the pressure off of Helensky to, to feel like it's all on him to make that decision pre-snap? And, and then, you know, also uh, sometimes during the, the play itself, once he's, he's you know, reading whether to hand it off or whether to, to keep it and throw it. So um, a lot of it didn't make sense in the first half. Like you said, they played better in the second half, and uh, really the game turned – uh, when South Carolina was driving to make it a one-score game again, they're inside the five-yard line, and and you know on, on third down and goal, Helensky does the only thing he couldn't do in that situation, which is throw an interception in the end zone. And not only does he throw the pick, but it's returned for a touchdown, and and it just was a, a huge swing. You know, if South Carolina just kicks a field goal there, it's a seven-point game. Their defense had 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 some rest and and had a chance to get a stop on the next possession, but um, it wasn't to be. So. Uh, you know, it was it was an ugly game in a lot of respects offensively and, and one that I'm sure the, the coaches and the players are, are eager to leave behind. Uh, but they you know, they, they I think they know a lot of the things that were weren't were not working in that game and, and have worked on trying to correct some of those so far in practice this week and, and, and hope to, to play a lot better offensively against Kentucky. Yeah, I think the pick six essentially ended the football game. I, you know, at that point, you know. Any momentum they had with that drive, you know, because they got they came out, they scored, you know. Then the defense, which we'll talk about here in a second, sort of you know gave up a drive, uh, and then the defense was good in some spurts and bad in some spurts uh, this past weekend. Um, then you go all the way back down there, and, and I, I, my opinion is, and you know, Will Muschamp even said this that that, that ball should have never been there. Should have never even been an option for him to throw that pass. Um, and, and, I, and I, again, there's trends there. 
Inside the five-yard line, South Carolina is a pass-happy football team. It's probably because they don't think they can run it in. But in a 10-point game, you know, there are times where, you, you know, you don't want to settle for a field goal, so it's okay to do stuff. But, but in that situation, even if you kick the field goal, Tony, it's 24-17. You know, you kick back off to them. The defense has stopped them at times. Kelly Bryant, I thought, was inaccurate uh, for the most part. Had he been on the money, it may have been a different ball game. But, uh, I, I, you know, that was just, that was just brutal. And, um you know, I, I, there's blame to go around. You know, Halinski shouldn't have thrown the ball, but I don't know that Halinski should have been in a position to, to even have that as an option uh, in that situation, given what the game was at the time. Um, so that was just – that was very disappointing. Uh, you know, I, I did think that Brian Edwards played really well. Um, you know, I, I think the backs didn't have much of a chance. I thought Halinski rebounded pretty well in the second half. And, and Tony, I think Kyle Markway – I mean, is it just me, or is Kyle Markway pretty good? I mean, th- this guy's been pretty consistent. Um, I know he usually has, does something well against Missouri, but uh, in his home state. But, man, it it seemed like, you know, especially the second he was catching things, and uh, it just seems like he's putting together a pretty solid season. Yeah, he definitely is. I think he's, you know, the definition of a, a solid tight end all the way around. You know, isn't going to blow you away with any one aspect of his game, but he's good at, at everything a tight end is asked to do. You know, he can block, he can get open, uh, he can make some things happen after he gets the ball in his hands, and, and, he, and he catches the balls that are thrown to him, and including some tough ones in traffic. So uh, I think they, they have found a weapon there, and, and I think Nick Muse is another one who has shown a lot of potential, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if those two were a, a big part of the game plan against Kentucky and, and both get an opportunity to, to make some key plays for him. Absolutely. I think Muse is extremely athletic. I mean, he's fast and is a guy that I think really uh, has a bright future. You know, he's still kind of – I don't know. There's times where it seems like he's feeling his way, but, I mean, he definitely athletically belongs, talent-wise belongs. Um, I think the hands are going to come. You know, I, I've seen him make some great catches and then, then drop a few, but I, mean, I think after the catch he's really good. So, you know, heading into the season, everybody's worried about the tight ends, you know, and – now I think I think that position's in, you know, they don't have much depth, but I think that position's in pretty good shape, believe it or not. But that's you know such as life covering Gamecock football defensively, Tony. I was encouraged, especially in the first half. You know you have a goal line stand, you have a forced fumble recovery in Missouri territory, and you have almost a pick six with Wanham. You know. I, I think that, you know, especially early on, the defense played well enough. And that kind of surprised me for South Carolina to to win the football game. I mean, there were times where at critical situations they, they got gashed and got, you know, Missouri went right, right down the field. But, you know, I, I think there were some promising signs, you know, like like uh, Kingsley and J.J. and Igbarre um, coming in on the, on, the, on the goal line, fourth and goal. Uh, making a play, Wanham stepping in front of the pass, making a play, and Javon Kinlaw, you know, continues to play at a high level each and every time out. You know, with that said, there were some negatives as well. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said there. I think you know the negatives to me, uh, the most glaring was their inability to get any pressure whatsoever on Kelly Bryant in obvious passing situations, and. On some of those plays, they were only rushing three or four, 
So to some degree, you could say it was by design that they were trying to play coverage and, and you know, force an incompletion. But, and, and they also, I know Bryant is, has the ability to hurt them with his feet, so they, they probably didn't want to you know, get too many guys upfield and create running lanes for him. Um, but you know, it, it's, I feel like I've been talking about a lack of pass rush <laughs> for about six or seven straight years now when it comes to South Carolina, and, and I think it's one of the most puzzling parts of, of how Will Muschamp and Travis Robinson have built this defense. They just don't have the pass rushers that you need uh, in a conference like the SEC. And if you can't affect the quarterback consistently uh, against today's college offenses, you're going to have a hard time stopping them over the course of a game. And and I think you especially have to be able to affect the passer in obvious passing situations. And, and there were times where Kelly Bryant could have had a picnic uh, in the backfield and, and, and still had time to find someone to throw to. So when, you're, when your secondary is already struggling to some degree, to ask them to cover – that much longer with no pass rush to me just was was very frustrating to watch absolutely we're going to talk about that uh, in a segment coming up here you know kind of dig into the the pass rushing deal and um yeah we've been watching that for a long time and, and you're right he could have had a picnic and that's you know kelly bryant like i said was not accurate you know he he did not have his best game throwing the football um but when you give him all day eventually something's going to happen i mean that's uh, that's just kind of how it is, and, and if it weren't for for him misfiring on some throws, you know the Gamecocks could have given up. I mean, against another quarterback, uh, the Gamecocks could have given up even more yards, and that's uh, that's just something they have to fix. I, I thought, you know, T.J. Brunson made some plays here and there, but I I don't know how I noticed this because I, I normally and I went back and watched it just to make sure. I normally don't focus on one defensive player when I'm watching the game live. I'll go back and watch. But but I noticed in the first half, I mean, he ran right by Bryant. Uh, so either he did not know Bryant had the ball, and they talk about eye discipline, or he did just, just shied away from contact. He did it twice in a row. Um, and, and in general, I think Muschamp's frustrated with the linebacker play as well, and I, I think that that's, that's something that's been disappointing. I think Ernest Jones is playing his butt off. Um, which, you know, you put more than one on the field at the same time. I don't know what the answer is there. Uh, but individually, you know, if I were disappointed in a player, you know, and, and I hate to do it, you know, single anybody out, but I, I thought T.J. Brunson had some, you know, left some plays he could have made on the field, which is surprising for a senior. Well, to me, I think when, when you're watching a defense play and it looks slow, Mm-hmm. It's usually related to your linebackers, mm-hmm. um, you know, your your, your defense, and maybe your pass rushers on 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 you know obvious passing situations. But um, you know, South Carolina often their linebackers often look like they're stuck in mud. Um, they don't seem to diagnose plays as quickly as they need to. Although I think Ernest Jones has has been an improvement there and, and has a lot of potential at middle linebacker. Um, but you know, they, they just they, they aren't getting enough production from their linebackers or if they when they walk that safety into the box, they're not getting enough production there either. And um, and that's another puzzling part of this defense. You know, we this is Muschamp's fourth year at South Carolina. He coaches the safeties. He recruits the safeties, evaluates the safeties, everything related to the safety position. And yet this is the, the fourth straight year where they just have been, you know, at best below average at safety. And it's it's another thing that that's tough to explain and is is frustrating I think for the fans to watch because it is his position and he does have such a a good history of of producing good safeties and and putting safeties into the NFL 
you know, yet it, it's just been a, um, a mystery position for, for the fourth straight season uh, for South Carolina. I agree, and uh, we'll transition to the next topic here. Going to get to Ryan Helensky and his health here in a second, but a news item that, that broke yesterday. Uh, Jam Williams, highest-rated recruit in the 2017 class, which is quickly becoming, when you look at the four classes Muschamp's had, that's quickly becoming the worst one. Um, he leaves. Now, I, I, I think this – what this does is it takes an inexperienced it takes an experienced player off the field, and probably replaces it with an inexperienced player. But Tony, I just don't know that Jam Williams was playing at a high level to where it matters all that much. You know that you have a young guy out there that's going to make mistakes. You can almost live with that. But you know, after four games, he's going to go transfer somewhere else. He'll redshirt this season, and then I think he'll have two years remaining to play. Um, so, what's the impact there? Uh, with the departure of Jam Williams, in my, in your opinion, I don't think it it, it is going to hurt them much. Um, I'm curious to see where he ends up and what position he plays at his next stop. Uh, but I think ultimately he was too small for cornerback, too small for safety, not physical enough, and the shoulder issue certainly didn't help that at safety. And I think South Carolina has better options at nickel. So I, I don't think. They're going to particularly miss him. He's been a liability this year in multiple games and in multiple key situations where they needed a stop and, and teams targeted him and, and beat him uh, to pick up the first downs to stay on the field or, in the case of the Alabama game, picked up you know some, some big touchdowns. So, um, you know, his playing time was decreasing, and I think for good reason. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see whether the staff is, is willing to give Jamel Cook an opportunity to, to see more snaps. I know there's a, a work ethic issue there and, and uh, at times um, has, has not been a player that the coaches feel like they can trust uh, out there on the field. But, um, you know, this, this gives them the opportunity to maybe get him a few more snaps and see how he performs. I think you're probably going to see Mukwamu play a little bit more safety than he has been, and, and especially if Cam Smith is really coming on at cornerback, as, as Will Muschamp said at his press conference this week. They could get Cam Smith and Dixon in there more at, at cornerback and maybe play Mukwamu more at safety. Um, you know, But I, I, in terms of, of the the individual impact of not having Jemias Williams there, I, I don't think it's going to really matter much for South Carolina. And, um, and, and you know, I think – He's a guy who probably had his had the most potential on offense as a slot receiver and, and and potentially a return guy, but he never was able to work his way to the mix as a return man at South Carolina and and, and never got any snaps on offense. So certainly a great kid. Wish him the best, uh, but I I think his his time at South Carolina had run its course, and he probably made the right decision to to go ahead and try to find another opportunity. Sure, and preserve that eligibility and. Uh... You know, heck, I'd, if I were him, I'd go to Washington State and play wide receiver because uh, Steve Spurrier Jr., as we all know, is the receivers coach there, and he has a track record of taking guys that were on defense and uh, making them, uh, making them uh, offensive guys. And certainly you could see that out of high school with the ball in his hands, he was good. I have no idea why he didn't factor into the return game. The only thing I can think of, Tony, is the injuries – and maybe there were some ball security issues in practice, which they're not not—they're not going to put a guy out there that's going to fumble punts. Um, but uh, just kind of interesting, but certainly you wish him the best. Cam Smith, you know, is a guy that obviously came in more highly regarded than John Dixon. Dixon was ahead of him in, in the preseason, but 
you know, sometimes guys, the light comes on. And uh, I'm curious to see how he and then if they do get Jamel Cook out there, both of those guys perform um, moving uh, moving forward. All right, so Ryan Holinsky. So, okay, so obviously after the game, there's all there's rumors everywhere about things. Um, I, I thought he looked fine in the second half, and, and, and I, I wasn't – I mean, you never know what's going to happen – after a game in terms of injuries. I mean, nobody knew Jake Bentley was hurt until the Sunday after the game. But uh, Muschamp says he's been fine, taking every rep, looks fine, feels fine. Um, my guess is, um, you know, he probably is fine. Uh, and, and that's what I've heard. Uh, I know we're all hesitant about injuries <laughs> around here because you never really know. But uh, what have you heard on that front? What do you expect out of him this weekend? Well, like you, I heard a lot of the, the crazy rumors on, on Sunday uh, after the game or even Saturday night after the game, but um, I don't know where a lot of them originated. Uh, but I, I think with um, you know with Muschamp saying flat out that they did a scan, and by scan I assume he means MRI. Uh, they did an MRI and it was clean. And you know, like you said, Halinski has not been limited at all so far in practice this week and, and feels fine, then, then you, know, you have to believe that that that's the case. I, I just don't think um, Will Muschamp or Dan Werner or any of the coaches would would put a player out there if he you know was was at risk for further injury, uh, especially uh, at quarterback with a true freshman with so much potential like Kalinsky. I just don't think they would do that. Um, so I, I, I you have to take Muschamp at his word on this one, and and he said he's fine and and seems to, to be backed up by the fact that he hasn't been limited so far in practice this week and, and you know, hopefully we'll we'll play a lot better this week and, and it'll just be a short term thing that, that um you know people forget about in time. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's good. You certainly don't want to, you know Ryan Holinsky in general is a is a very accurate passer. That's what was kind of shocking about the first half. The other day, I mean, you know, against Alabama, sure, he threw some incompletions. Every quarterback does. But, you know, he was putting the ball on the money and uh, put the ball on the money against Charleston Southern. But, um, you know, I, in this situation, you know, it, it obviously uh, is a point of concern. But we'll find out Saturday night, 7.30 p.m., the SEC Network um, night game at williams Bryce Stadium. All right, so, so the two big problems. You know, that South Carolina struggles with one offense, one defense, right? Running the ball, and you mentioned rushing the passer. Let, let's start with rushing the passer. I I, I think there's a lot there. I, I think, you know, recruiting is one aspect of it. I think the scheme is another aspect of it. Uh, I, I think, Tony, when you look at the scheme, even at Alabama some years, they don't – if there's a criticism of their defense some years, it's that they don't rush the passer well. Um, and, and Muschamp's defense is a little different than Bama's, but it's it's the same kind of concept. You know, and so that's the problem with this defense in general. Sometimes they just don't get they don't get the pressure if they don't have the guys. Um, you know, and, and then you look and you see, well, who, who's a really good pass rusher? I, I don't know that, uh, that Wanham – I mean, I think Wanham's good. You know, I think he can rush the passer. I think Enigbare has a chance, but but there's just not the guys. And you know, the buck position too is something that that you know is a very finite set of skills. You know, people ask me all the time, well, 
you know, it should be easy to find hybrid guys or tweeners to play that spot. Well, yeah, that's not what you want, though. You want an elite guy there. Um, and they talk about the spur position. Well, it was easy to find spurs. That's different because that, you know, you're talking about guys that can be elite, like an Antonio Allen, Darian Stewart, Devontae Holloman, that are kind of tweener safety linebacker types that can do all that, that can cover. There's that type of athlete readily available. There's not a lot of Dante Fowlers, you know, that you could just go sign. Um, and then there's a lot of guys out there they've signed that maybe fit that body type coming out of high school, but then they get too big. I mean, way too big. You know, so, so I, you know, I don't want to say it's scheme. I think it's a combination of a lot of things. But, you know, again, this gets back to that defense, and, and it gets back to, you know, the nature of that defense um, every every system has its Achilles heel, and, and I've seen it at other schools with elite talent. Um, and you just got to kind of wonder. I mean, the Gamecocks just aren't – I mean, it doesn't matter who's been out there. I mean, they're just not getting getting to the quarterback on a consistent basis when they should. I mean, Kelly Bryant, like you said, had a picnic, ate a sandwich, uh, did whatever back there. And, um, you know, I just – I think this is something that will have to improve for the four, – four, I mean, that could help that secondary a whole lot. No question. I mean, it's a problem when your best pass rusher through four games is a defensive tackle. And and Javon Kinlaw has been the best pass rusher for them this year. Um, but, you know, teams have started double-teaming him at times and, and trying to take him away. And, and South Carolina just doesn't have those guys on the edge who can who, – who, who can – give a, an offensive tackle nightmares and and their best defenses over the years they had guys like that even going back to you know Eric Norwood and mm-hmm. and guys like that and of course Clowney and Devin Taylor Chas Sutton guys that that you know Melvin Ingram you know you you knew if you got a team in third and eight and and they had to throw it they were taking a risk if they dropped their quarterback and and dropped him back and and didn't uh, run a, a play that developed quickly, and the South Carolina was disruptive. They caused turnovers, game-changing turnovers, with sacks and strips, and um, you're just not seeing that. And, and I know Aaron Sterling made that kind of play uh, against Kelly Bryant um, and, and caused a turnover, but they just need a, they need a lot more of that, and they need more players in recruiting um, who are are guys who get off the edge and 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 make things happen. And I just don't see how this, they just look slow coming off the edge. They, they don't seem to get off blocks very well. And um, I, I think it's something that, that catches up to them against good football teams. And, and you know, it, it's, you know, maybe the biggest aspect of getting off the field on third down is being able to, to get pressure on the quarterback on third down. And just far too often, they can't do it. Yeah, I, and, and I think that that's, uh, that's very, very tough. Um you know, when you're trying to compete in this league. Um, and I don't know that, you know, it, should, it shouldn't be. I mean, you know, even Kinlaw, I think, and, and this kind of gets back to personnel, and, and I don't know, you, you may not agree with me here. I, you know, Josh Bell and his crazy situation, <laughs> which that's an entire podcast episode. Um, you know, you don't have him. You didn't get Jakeem Green in. Kinlaw – Last year, got down to about 290. I, I don't know, Tony, that if you had beef inside that you could count on, that you couldn't slide him out and get pass rush from him uh, at the opposite defensive end 
spot from the buck because I do think he's a natural pass rusher. I think Sterling does a good job. Uh, I I think one of the – an answer potentially here could be if Enigbare, who did show some flashes on Saturday, um, ends up really stepping up because I think he's got a natural ability. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. Ken Law's the only guy that's getting to it. But, you know – I don't even know that he is a guy that's like a big interior guy. Uh, I think he's more like a freak that can come off the edge. And I think in the NFL, quite frankly, if he goes to a a three four team, that that may be where he plays. Yeah, potentially. You know, but I just you you can't rely on a guy like Kenlaw to be your your primary pass rusher in those situations. He can be a supplemental guy. But you have to have a pass rushing package you can put out there where you know you have guys that are ready to come off the edge and, and get off blocks and, and or, or potentially beat tackles to the spot and, and get into the backfield. Uh, and you saw a lot of that from Missouri when they knew South Carolina had to throw the football once they, they blew the game open. They you know really destroyed South Carolina's offensive line on a lot of key plays and, and uh, had Ryan Holinsky even more off balance late in the game, so or at least late in that third quarter when they were trying to, to find a way to come back. So, um, you know, it, it's huge. And if you watch college football and you see the teams uh, who are the, who are the best on defense, especially those that are really good at getting off the field on third down, they get after the passer. And, and it's just it's the fourth straight year under Muschamp. South Carolina hasn't been able to do it, and you know probably about the sixth straight year dating back to the end of the Spurrier era. Yeah, it's very frustrating to watch, especially that quarterback sits there and has all day. Um, All right, so running the football, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, they've run it fairly well, I guess. You know, North Carolina was okay. I thought Alabama, obviously, they put up some numbers. You know, I thought, obviously, Charleston Southern, they put up a lot of numbers. But, you know, I just – I don't I don't know what the answer is here. I, I know Missouri was doing some things to really kind of, you know, attack the Gamecocks offensive front, you know, but there's got to be a way to get it done. And I just don't – I just don't see the commitment there to doing it. I think, well, Muschamp's frustrated with it. Um, I think you have to have some way that you say, okay, we're going to try – I mean, and look, some games you're not going to be able to – I mean, there are some games you can't run it. But – I just don't know that, um, you know, having what what they have, 30 yards of, of rush, 40 yards rushing, you know, against Missouri, you know, those are the types of situations they have to avoid. And any legitimate football team, you know, even Alabama against South Carolina, they didn't run it particularly well, but they, they eked out 76 yards. Okay, do that and call it a day. But it's these, like, you know, 20-yard rushing totals and stuff that, that you know, just make your offense undimensional or, or one-dimensional. Um I don't know what undimensional is. <laughs> One dimensional. <laughs> and then they and then, you know, like you said, you know, the other teams that can rush the pass, they're just gonna tee off and come after you every time. So I just don't know I just I, I strongly feel like there needs to be some sort of dissection of the offense and, and it's self evaluation that says, Okay, we're gonna put in these run plays, okay? And uh, we're gonna try to try to make it work. Yeah, I, I think a lot of uh, of being a good running football team is a mentality, and it's something that that starts with your offensive line, and and goes from there throughout the offense. But um, you know, I, I think the RPO is is what has changed the equation there, and and, and Alabama is another example of that. Um, you know, years ago, 
if, if Alabama had the same personnel and they weren't running the RPO-based offense, let's say Greg McElroy was the, the quarterback of Alabama uh, now with, with this same personnel, um, I, I think they would be more committed to running the football. But uh, the way teams are defending them, and, and Tua is just so good at diagnosing what a defense is going to do and getting the ball out on time and throwing it accurately that he feels like he can you know, make something happen on, on just about any play when you give him that RPO option. He feels like he can do it with his arm. So, um, and, and I think Kalinske probably feels that way to some degree too, but he's a true freshman, and, and he doesn't have the same kind of receivers – that, that Tua has at Alabama, and, and I, I just think you have to take some pressure off him. And you can't just run the football when, you know, the, the pre-snap read dictates you to run it. Sometimes you have to, to be able to, to line it up and, and run it right at the other team and get four or five yards, even if they have numbers in the box. So uh, Enrico Dowdle especially has played well enough this year to deserve at least 15 carries a game. Uh, you find a way to get the ball in his hands for, you know, 15 times and, and – and then you go from there. But um, I just think right now they're you know, they're so dependent on these RPOs and, and trying to read what the defense is doing and, and teams are, are, are showing them what they want to see, I think, at times. Um, you know, But you have to be willing to mix it up and keep the defense off balance and run it even if it sometimes it, you know, they're, 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 the pre-snap read said you should throw it. Yeah, especially when you're backed up into an opponent's territory, you're on the road, true freshman quarterback first. And, and this, is the, this is what's baffling. I mean, everybody, everybody talks about, you know, Will Muschamp's too conservative, this, that, and the other. You know, sometimes it's not necessarily that you're always one way or always another. Sometimes you just got to have the gut feeling to win – you know, to, to do what you got to do. I mean, you know, South Carolina's not trying to throw it back the, back at the five-yard line and, and that bizarre double pass thing. I mean, that was that was like Dondreal Pinkins' 2003 safety sort of weird, although I do think in this situation, if you really look at it, it was the right call, and that Pinkins' safety obviously wasn't. Um that was actually robbery, but but weird stuff. I mean, it was just bizarre, and I was like, man. I mean, that was just uh, that was strange. But you run it in that situation, you, you know. You, you know, sometimes you just got to run the ball and punt. And South Carolina's got a good punter. Um, you run the ball uh, down there with the pick six. Maybe you don't get a touchdown, but you know, if those two things don't happen, Tony, that field goal you kick when you don't throw the pick six makes it a seventeen seventeen football game, and. I just I see that from time to time, and I, 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 I see them get pass happy, and and I don't I, I, like I I think RPO offenses are obviously something that works. I, I do think Ryan Helinski, I believe Muschamp when he says Helinski was making the correct reads, but when he's misfiring, you know, you sometimes you just got to say, hey, we got to get out of here and play defense, um, and not do anything to mess it up, and you do need to take a conservative approach. So. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you, too. Mentality's it. I, I, I think that you start that game, even if Missouri's stacking the box, you get, your, you get your offensive line going forward, you get your offensive line playing physical, you get your backs lathered up, so to speak, um, and you try to force the issue because, you know, you do have some backs that are playing well. Dowdle's playing really well. I hated to see that Kevin Harris is out for the season because I thought, you know, even though it was Charleston Southern, he was pretty promising, and especially at that fullback spot. Uh, and I think Tavian Feaster could do some really good things in space. Um, so, uh, you know, that was that was very disappointing. I do think that um, 
that's something that needs to improve moving forward. I I don't know how easy or hard it's going to be. It's probably going to be pretty difficult running it against Kentucky's defense because Kentucky's really good at stopping the run, and they're big and beefy on the interior of the offensive line. But, hey, this is a good game to start, you know, trying to just say, hey, you know, we, we've got some big guys on the interior of the offensive line, and let's go do it. So that's kind of my thing there. All right, switching gears to recruiting, everybody's favorite subject. Desmond Evans says in an update today, he's the five-star defensive end out of North Carolina, which before I even start talking about this, I'm going to tell you that I do not personally believe South Carolina is going to end up getting Desmond Evans. I think he's going to North Carolina. However, you know, sometimes you play the long game and things break your way when it comes to recruiting. He says he's going to officially visit either Virginia Tech or Carolina this weekend. Here's my question, Tony. I I believe – it's probably better for South Carolina if he waits on his official. But at the same time, I can see the benefits to having him in for, you know, a night home football game and that type of, of what should be a pretty good atmosphere. Yeah, I think there's there's trade-offs either way. You know, I, I think, like you said, coming in uh, during the season, middle of the season for a, a night game, uh, particularly one that should be a competitive football game, uh, I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, but with the uncertainty at South Carolina right now with the, the one and three record and, um, and not knowing how things are going to unfold the rest of this year and, and potentially, you know, after the season from a, a coaching standpoint, um, you know, there, there's, there's good and bad to, to doing it now versus doing it later. But I, I agree with you. I think North Carolina is the clear team to beat and has been for a long time. I do think North Carolina, or excuse me, South Carolina has been number two for a long time, and I think that the coaching staff has done a good job of staying in the game with him to some degree. Um, but if you just follow the visits and, and look at the number of times he's been to Chapel Hill versus the number of times he's been to Columbia, there's a a pretty big discrepancy there. And I, I think that that their North Carolina coaching staff has really made him a, a big priority and has has made a lot of progress with him and his family. So I think for that sort of player. South Carolina has a much better chance at landing Reggie Grimes out of the state of Tennessee, um, and, and I think they're they're pretty comparable from a skill set standpoint. Um, you know, Evans is a little bit taller, uh, may have a little bit more upside, but I really like both of them, and 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 don't think South Carolina could go wrong with either of them. But uh, I think of the two, they have a better shot at Grimes. Agree with you there. Grimes uh, tends to if you follow the visits, he he's t- tends to visit and. Enjoy it every single time. You know, Bobby Bentley's done a great job uh, recruiting him up there and kind of parlaying some relationships he's had, you know, built uh, with Joe Anderson and, and Max Iyama. Um, looks like another good one out of Tennessee that they'll go get, and that's uh, that's solid. You know, used to be, uh, Tony, we, we all remember the days, Tennessee coming to South Carolina and swipe all the top players. But, you know, Gamecocks going up there hadn't really happened too often. And uh, I think that's one very positive thing under this staff because, you know, you look at it, everybody's sort of, you know, expanding their footprint a little bit. It's just kind of the world we live in these days. The country's getting smaller. Um, and, uh, you know, there's good players in Tennessee. There's 6.5 million people in that state. It's you know, if you throw Missouri out, because Missouri, of course, the Kansas City and St. Louis has a bigger population than a lot of SEC states. But, you know, since they're a newcomer, we'll just talk about Tennessee. You know, behind Texas, Florida, and Georgia, Texas also a newcomer state, um, Tennessee has a higher population than any of them. It's bigger than Alabama. It's bigger than South Carolina. It's bigger than Mississippi, obviously, Louisiana, Arkansas, Kentucky. So, 
you know, population numbers, especially in the South, usually equate to more prospects, and, and they certainly have done a great job up there putting out players. So, you know, just a, a you know, if you're looking for lightness in the dark out there about recruiting, hey, Gamecocks are still making noise up in the state of Tennessee. Um, it certainly helps that Tennessee is a gigantic dumpster fire uh, at this point. Um, it probably will continue to be. And uh, maybe that that game against the Gamecocks is, has a lot more meaning than, than, than maybe people would think uh, down the stretch of the season. All right, Kentucky's won five games in a row against the Gamecocks, Tony. Speaking of, speaking of things that I thought I'd never see, uh, I want to make clear to some folks out there that Will Muschamp has not lost all five of these games. He's only coached in three of them. <laughs> some people – in their case against Will Muschamp this week on, on social media and, and on some websites are, you know, like, ah, oh, he's lost five in a row to Kentucky. Well, Steve Spurrier lost, <laughs> lost two of those. Um, you know, math would uh, you know, tell you, but um, I, 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 I can't believe it. I think some of these games, Tony, Kentucky was better. I think 2016 they were better. I think 2015, if you start Perry Orth, the Gamecocks win that game. 2014 was inexcusable. 2017 was inexcusable. I thought last year Kentucky was better, although the Gamecocks played like crap. What do you make of this? I mean, uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of uncharted waters. Um, kind of reminds me of when Spurrier lost twice in a row to Vandy, but uh, this has gone on much, much longer than, than, than that. Yeah, I, I think Mark Stoops has done a good job at Kentucky. It's a very tough job for, for multiple reasons, um, and I, I think he's embraced it and has, has done a, a better job than just about anybody in recent memory um, has done at Kentucky. It's obviously a basketball first job um, and, and always will our back basketball first school and, and always will be. Um, but you know, he's, he's, he and his staff evaluate well, they develop well, they know what they're looking for in football players and, and they, you know, seem to be able to, to, uh, interchange, play interchangeably on defense. Where especially on defense on the defensive line and at linebacker, they, um, you know, have replaced a guy like Josh Allen. They haven't found one guy who can replace him, but uh, they're still getting a lot of production up front from their defensive line. Their linebackers are always good, and, and they play fundamentally sound defensively, and and then do what they need to do offensively. So, um, you know, if you're looking for a guy who's who's done things the way that. I think a lot of people expected Will Muschamp to do them at South Carolina. Uh, Mark Stoops is that guy, and um, and and quite frankly, I think he has outcoached Will Muschamp in the, in their three matchups, and I think he outcoached Steve Spurrier um, in those those two at the end of his tenure, the two losses at the end of his tenure. They've looked like the, the better prepared team. They've looked like the team that wanted it more, and they've looked like the team who made better adjustments over the course of the game, and and that's something that. All three of those things have to change this weekend. South Carolina has to be the team that wants it more. They have to be the better prepared team at home, and their their coaches have to make the, the right adjustments over the course of the game. So if they don't, they're going to get beat again. So, um, you know, the, I, I watched South, uh, excuse me, Kentucky and Florida play, and Kentucky had no business losing that game, and they were very impressive at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And if South Carolina is not better – at the line of scrimmage, they're going to get beat. So um, this is a it, it's a scary game for South Carolina. I know South Carolina is favored by about three, three and a half, but um, I, I think Kentucky will walk into that stadium 
completely expecting to win the football game. And, and South Carolina has to, to, to go out there and, and change that and, and punch them in the mouth and, and, and play the way they're capable of playing. I got a little theory about Kentucky. I think they're the Michigan State of the SEC. Um, and I say that because you look at their recruiting over the years. There's, they're very Ohio heavy. And, you know, the Stoops family obviously has deep ties to that state. Uh, I think it's brilliant what they did. They're the northernmost SEC school. So they've got proximity, and they just cross the border. They don't necessarily beat Ohio State and Michigan on guys. And keep in mind, Ohio is the fifth highest talent-producing state in the country behind Florida, Texas, California, and Georgia. Um, it's, it's up there. I mean, you look at – I mean, there wouldn't be a MAC um, or a Big Ten if it weren't for the state of Ohio. And you kind of look at who they've been getting out of that state. And then, of course, they do go south, and then sometimes they'll go to, like, New Jersey and – flip a kid like Josh Allen for Monmouth, which is amazing, and develop him into an NFL player. They hit the JUCO ranks pretty hard, too, uh, because they, they just don't have any talent in, in Kentucky. It's maybe three or four a year. Um, and you look, at, and I go back and look at kind of how he's built it, and I see, like, who he's beaten on, on these Ohio kids. And it's been programs like Michigan State and Iowa, um, you know, to a certain extent, you, you could you could maybe throw like a Penn State in there at times. Um, Nebraska, uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin, schools like that that routinely beat SEC programs in bowl games. By the way, these are it's a different style of football, but it's still good football, especially like you mentioned, Tony, on the lines of scrimmage in that league. And I think that's been the secret. You know, everybody wants to sit there and say, ah, talent this, talent that, as far as, you know, Big Ten schools or whatever. But that style of football can give you trouble. Um, you know, strong on the line of scrimmage. They're going to commit to the run game. They're going to play stout defense. They're going to be well coached. That's kind of how Michigan State put together what they did uh, in a very tough division up there under Mark D'Antonio. And, and, and I think that it's kind of the same philosophy down here now, Michigan State, you know, won the league and went to the playoff. Do I think Kentucky can ever do that? No, because I think the top of the SEC right now is just so much more stout than the top of the Big Ten was that year. And Michigan State, you know, was in the opposite division of Ohio State. Ohio State didn't have their best team. They kind of upset them, whatever, like, you know, you know the story. But I, I, I think that, um, you know, when you look at it, it's the same formula, and, and I think it's brilliant. I mean, I, I think that, you know, you you never kind of think of, of an Ohio-heavy SEC program, um, but they've done it. And, and and he's probably the best coach there since, you know, taking nothing away from Rich Brooks or Joker Phillips or Hal Mummy um, or any of, Joker the, of the of the finer, fine Kentucky coaches we've seen over the years. Uh, take nothing away from those cats, no pun intended, but – I think he he's the, he's definitely the best since Jerry Claiborne and probably the best since Bear Bryant uh, up there. And I, I think South Carolina fans would probably be happy to see him get a bigger job or a better job here in the near future. Um, I, I think it comes down to running the ball and stopping the run. Uh, you look at the stats from these games, in most of the losses, um, the Gamecocks have, have struggled to run the football and haven't been able to, to stop the run. You know, last year – uh, I think it was more of a case. I thought they slowed Snell down pretty well in the second half. Actually shut him out in the second half. 
Um, but it was just a dumpster fire on offense. They weren't going to get anything done. Um, and, of course, that first Spurrier loss, the, Mike Davis and Brandon Wilds, I think, were just running roughshod over them. Um, and then the defense that year was terrible and allowed them to get back in. But by and large, most of these wins by Kentucky have been Kentucky can run the ball, they control the line of scrimmage, and they stop the Gamecocks from doing so. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, you know, when I watch Kentucky play, especially on defense, they're fast, they're physical, and they're disruptive. And those are three adjectives I thought I would use to describe South Carolina's defense when Will Muschamp was hired. Uh, I really believed that, that that's the kind of defense he would put together. Um, and, and instead, it's it's a defense that, that often looks slow, um, is not disruptive, and is not physical enough. So it, it's 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 tough to watch a team like Kentucky and a program like Kentucky do what they've done, and then watch South Carolina over that same time period uh, fail to do it. So um, it, it's it, it's not a great matchup for South Carolina. I think to win this game, they're going to need some big plays. Uh, like you said, they're going to need to run it, but I think they're going to need some big plays on both sides of the ball, whether it's some big turnovers on defense or you know some some big plays from Brian Edwards and Shai Smith and, and Alinsky in the passing game combined with a solid running game. But um, I don't think this is the kind of matchup where South Carolina wants to go 90 yards, four or five yards at a time very often and, and expect to have success. Um, so... Um, it's going to be an interesting chess match. I think this is a big test for Will Muschamp and his coaches because, like I said, I think they've been outcoached by Mark Stoops and his coaches for the, the first three years of, of this series between these, you know, these two head coaches. And, um, and Stoops has had Muschamp's number, uh, even going back to Florida to some degree. So um, it, it's a big test and, and one that Muschamp needs to pass. Absolutely. I agree with you there, and I think that, you know, it is. Mississippi State beat Kentucky last weekend 28-13. Bulldogs did have a lot of big plays in that football game. Um, kind of established the momentum early. That game was in Starkville. I uh, I encourage everybody to check out Tony's Five Keys to Victory and Prediction on thebigspur.com coming up later this week uh, and get his uh, final take on the football game. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, when I look at it, it's, it's you know, Kentucky's probably not as good as they were last year, but it's not like they're – I mean, I, I think they play solid football. And, and I honestly think, to be honest, they're going to play pretty solid football for as long as Stoops is there. So we'll see kind of how it all uh, plays out. But looking at South Carolina, I think that's where a lot of fans would like the Gamecocks to be and should be. They should be right now in year four, solid, consistent football you know, I've, I've talked to some people in the know this week, Tony. I'm sure you have as well. I think we both kind of got the same return that it's going to be, you know, everything will be evaluated toward the end. I, I got the sense from some of the folks I talked to that, you know, patience is sort of wearing thin, but that almost universally everybody feels like, you know, it, it would be best just to get through this season, keep it afloat. Um, and then see what changes need to be made moving forward to, to continue to build. Uh, the definite, you know, the word I got, the definition of keeping it afloat varies <laughs> depending on who you talk to. Um, regardless of any of that, this game is absolutely critical. You go to one and four into the bye week, your chances of beating Georgia or even having the confidence to compete in that game are slim. 
You know, I think we all watched Georgia and Notre Dame, and they got those red lights down. God forbid there's a night game. South Carolina plays a night game in Athens after losing to Kentucky. God forbid that anyway. But um, they need a nice noon kickoff. But, you know, so that you're looking at one in five with the Gators coming to town and then Tennessee. So you're potentially one in six going to play Tennessee, who would also probably be one in six, maybe two in five. I, I, I – I felt last week was a must win. They didn't do it. That just makes this one titanic, uh, in my opinion, as far as the future of the program and, and the direction, not only this year, Tony, but long term. Yeah, I think, you know, the most important thing for this coaching staff is to not create a scenario where recruiting is is basically impossible going forward. Because then you're just delaying the inevitable. You know, let's say South Carolina goes three and nine this year but yet somehow the administration brings Will Muschamp back um, and he just makes some changes to his coaching staff. Well, to me, that's just delaying the inevitable because you, you know, trying to recruit under that scenario and, and sign a class uh, in not only 2020, but in 2021 that can, you know, put you in a position to, to take the program forward down the line. I, I just think is going to be next to impossible. So that's why I think winning this game, and, and then they're going to need to to win the other games that they should win. Vanderbilt, you know, potentially at Tennessee, uh, and then upset a Florida or an A and M or both, and, and just you know find a way to have a, a much better second half of the season. Uh, give themselves some momentum, maybe make a bowl at six and six, and and then you know maybe you can piece things together going forward. But um, if they go, if they go to one and one and four after this week and and lose to Georgia and and they're, they're you know, one in five when Florida comes to town, um, you know, it, it, the potential is there for this thing to just the bottom just to fall out and it become a disastrous season and one that um, creates an impossible scenario for them going forward. I, I agree. I mean, that, that's the thing people don't realize, especially Tony with the early signing these days. So, so, and I've, I've heard because they're obviously you know fans are going to debate should they keep him you know and then th- there's a faction that says it, it, you know it's a it's a five or six year rebuild. And to that I say, yes, it, it is a five or six rebuild to get back to where they were, you know, when they were winning 11 games or contending for the division even. But it's not a five or six rebuild to go to the Birmingham Bowl because you've already done that in year one. <laughs> um, you know, you don't want to go backward. And, 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 you know, then there's the whole thing where, well, there's a year four dip when you take over a new program. That theory is true, but it does not apply in this case because they didn't take over a program that had a ton of promising young players because the previous staff recruited pretty well and just didn't get enough time. That's the five-year cycle everybody's talking about. That's applicable in certain cases, and it's been applicable at South Carolina. I think Sparky Woods could have won the Carquest Bowl in 1994 with that team, but you know, that, that's applicable, you know, just to certain cases, it's not applicable here. So, you know, if you, if you bottom out, Will Muschamp is going to be at the top of every hot seat list all offseason. And it's not just, the, you know, a magazine coming out in June these days. It's only internet for 365 days a year. Any school recruiting against South Carolina, every school from NC State on up to Alabama – is going to sit there and say, he's not going to be there. Why don't you just come here? And that's, that's, that could torpedo a kid's decision. So, and then you throw on, on top of that, Tony, 2021 in the state is very down. So you don't have a whole lot of kids that just naturally want to come to South Carolina. This is going to be a challenging cycle anyway. 
So if, if the disaster happens and you do make a change, uh, yeah, you may be a couple of recruiting classes behind, but there is talent on the roster, and I think somebody could come in and right the ship relatively quick. It'll be a much better situation than what Muschamp took over. But if you go three and nine and you're looking at two classes and then in 2020 things don't get better and you have to make a move because it's been five years, you're going to be three classes behind and in arguably a bigger hole than you were, you know, when Muschamp took over. And you then you will have wasted all that money and all that time. So uh, that's the thing I want to tell everybody is with early signing now, with the way the recruiting calendar falls, you know, it's 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 no longer feasible, I think, especially in the SEC, to survive a disaster. I'm not talking about a mediocre year, six and six, Birmingham bull year. I'm talking about, like Tony mentioned, three and nine. Um, and like I said, I, I don't want anybody to get fired. I'm not calling for change, but, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, you just have to consider. All right. That's all the time we have today on Locked On. I'm sorry. Excuse my, excuse me there. <laughs> Inside the Gamecocks. Uh, we encourage all of you. We're up on iTunes now. Go hit that subscribe button. It's absolutely free. We're also on Spotify, uh, the Stitcher podcasting app. Uh, this thing's going to be distributed pretty widely. It's on the 24-7 Sports Network and certainly is a, uh, a podcast we hope you like and listen to and share with your Gamecock friends. So for Tony Morrell, this is J.C. Sherbert. This has been Inside the Gamecocks. We'll talk to you soon.